0: Hello and welcome to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Bowne. I'm here to share techniques and tools to help you engage with your audience and bring art, objects, and ideas to life. So let's dive into this week's show. Hello and welcome back to the Art Engager podcast. I'm your host, Claire Bowne of Thinking Museum, and this is episode 119. Happy New Year, because today I'm talking to Bryony Brickle, director of Magic Lantern, a UK-based educational charity that specialises in delivering interactive art history workshops in schools. We're talking about their innovative and inclusive approach to art education. But before that, last time... I was talking to Dr. Stephanie Smith, Learning Manager at the Museum of Australian Democracy in Canberra, about how they engage students in historic spaces. This episode was the last episode of 2023 and the most popular episode of the year by far. So do go and listen to episode 118. If you haven't already, you're in for a treat. And if you have a question for the show or you want to suggest a guest, feel free to get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to talk to more educators doing innovative things, engaging with art, objects and audiences in museums and heritage. So do get in touch with me via the link in the show notes. And don't forget... The Art Engager has over 100 episodes to choose from and you can take your pick from the big back catalogue of different episodes to brush up on your skills, be inspired and learn new techniques. And if you want to support this show and keep it going from strength to strength in 2024, you can do so by treating me to a cup of tea on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Claire Bound. I'll put a link in the show notes. Okay, let's get on with today's show. So before I share our conversation, let me introduce Magic Lantern. So Magic Lantern is an educational charity based in the UK that specialises in delivering interactive art history workshops in primary schools with the aim of introducing children and young people to art and making art accessible to everyone. So Magic Lantern's workshops are designed to turn classrooms into pop-up art galleries, engaging children between the ages of four and eleven. In today's conversation, I'm talking to Bryony Brickle, director of Magic Lantern, about their unique approach. So we discuss the specific strategies they use in their sessions, such as inviting students to step into artworks, creating soundscapes, exploring colours and patterns and engaging students in the making process through dry painting. We talk about the importance of creating a culture of looking, allowing students to wonder and ask questions throughout. Bryony discusses a specific session centred around Henri Rousseau's painting Surprise, I'll put a link in the show notes, and shares how their educators make this art experience dynamic, interactive, and memorable. We explore how role play, movement, and collaborative activities help to foster deeper connections between students and art, making the learning process more enjoyable and more impactful. It was great talking to Bryony about how Magic Lantern sparks curiosity, enjoyment and confidence in children when engaging with and interpreting artworks. So here's our chat. Hi, Bryony, and welcome to the Art Engager podcast.
1: Hello, Claire. It's very nice to be here with you. Thank you.
0: Perhaps you could start by telling us who you are and what you do. My name is Bryony
1: Brickle and I'm the director of Magic Lantern. Magic Lantern is an educational charity who deliver interactive art history workshops in schools across the UK. We were set up 30 years ago by a lady called Diana Schomburg. And Diana was a retired teacher and she set up Magic Lantern wanting to introduce children and young people to art and to make art accessible to everyone. The workshops that we deliver in schools are primarily in primary schools, so for children from ages 4 to 11 years old. And we go into schools and essentially turn the classroom into a pop-up art gallery. Sessions tend to last between 45 minutes to one hour. And during that time, it's really about engaging children with looking at art and enjoying that process as well.
0: Brilliant. I've seen some video on your website of some of the sessions in action and they look incredibly dynamic, participative. So perhaps you could share an example of a session. I know they're all different, but give us an example with an artwork and the type of things that might take place.
1: Yeah. So what's unusual about the work that we do is that history of art sessions, but we work across the whole of the primary curriculum. So we'll often go into schools to support with Science Week, leading a session on forces in motion, water, light and dark. We'll go to support on geography or history topics, things like islands or the ancient Greeks, World War II. We will support learning in English, maths, PSHE and RE and, of course, art and design. We're not suggesting that you can use art history to deliver the whole curriculum, but what you can do is use works of art to really engage, inspire, and extend learning within a particular topic. So often when we're contacted, the school will have an idea of what it is they would like us to deliver. Each session will have a theme and a topic to it. Sometimes it will be an art and design theme, I was recently in a school in Taunton, a primary school called Wellsprings, and I'd gone in there to deliver sessions across the whole school. So right the way from the early years foundation stage, which is four and five year olds, up until the children in year six, which, who are aged 10 and 11. And I'd been asked to go in and look at a particular work of art that the whole school was going to look at. And that was Henri Rousseau's Surprise, which is a painting in the National Gallery in London. and. The idea was to really get the children to, to pause, to stop, to really look. In order to do that, I think something that's really important for Magic Lantern is that we don't go in and present very dry biographic details. As you said, it's not a static experience. It's about creating a really dynamic interaction that happens within the classroom. We might even start teasing the image out, just showing a tiny fraction of that painting. Maybe it'll have a a little kind of a bit of the tiger that features in there. Just trying to get the children to imagine, where are we? Where is this painting? What's going on? And as you expand and let them discover the whole painting, a really lovely thing that we do with Magic Lantern is the idea that you can, stepping into an artwork, One of our patrons is the children's illustrator and writer, James Mayhew, who has a series of the Katie picture books. And it's the idea within these books that the young girl can step into these artworks and encounter the landscapes and characters he lives within. So good introductory kind of activity is to imagine that you could step or jump into this artwork. And once in there to move around, to explore, essentially, though, letting it be child led letting them tell you what they can see what they can hear what they could potentially taste touch smell and sense is a really good way when you're looking at an artwork to really particularly with children think about how they can encounter encounter this how their imaginations can help them grow that experience sometimes with older children we'll even create a sense poem so poem like within the jungle, imagining perhaps they were the tiger, and what it was that they can feel, smell, touch, hear. So once they're in and they're moving around, maybe even some acting, and we will often encourage children to become characters, to take on that pose to embody how a person is standing. With this particular Rousseau painting will encourage them to become that tiger, to mm-hmm. arch their backs, open their eyes, and have their jaws ready. But in that moment, thinking about empathy, thinking about how does that tiger feel? What can we see that tells us how he's feeling? And really in terms of that kind of what they can see, there's kind of evidence to tell them what's going on. Something that's really great within this particular painting, the Russo surprise is to think about turning it into a soundscape. What are the sounds that they can see? You obviously hear sounds, but there's all the evidence in there. There's the rain, the lightning that suggests thunder, the movement of the trees and grasses, which are all painted at strong kind of diagonal angles. You can sense the wind. And of course, looking at the tiger, imagining the roar. You can get the children to just very easily, using their bodies, tables, tap out the sound of the rain, make the sound of the creaking branches roar like the tiger and once you have all these sounds together you can almost conduct them as a sort of as an orchestra within the class bringing them in at different moments but possibly not always good to have everyone roaring like a tiger at the same time <laughs> depending on other lessons being taught you can audition for that role and then have the solos coming in but again, it's ways to animate what it is that they can see, really bring it to life. But using their eyes to find the clues that tell them what are the sounds. How do they know there's thunder? Because they can see the lightning. How do we know there's wind? Because they can see the movement of the branches. So it's getting them to work to tell you what they can see. Once you you have that, you have this painting really coming to life, then you can almost begin to really look at the painting. The painting is an object, something that's really key to do with any work of art that you're showing kind of outside of a gallery setting where you don't have, have the work itself is how big is it? The size that can be really lost, particularly if you're in a classroom, you're showing something on a whiteboard. So have your tape measure, get two children up. Do they think it's bigger or smaller than the image they can see on the white screen? Is it bigger than their teacher? Is it smaller? Is it taller than them? Measure it out and then compare it to the human body. That's how we always understand and appreciate size best. And then also think about how it's been made, looking at it and looking at what colours can they find. Even all the way through, right the way from very young children to older children, get them to identify, to look, it's green, but how many different types of green have they got? What about the colours that aren't green and the importance of there's a wonderful red, you'll see it if you look at the image. A kind of red feathery plant, and someone will spot that. But that importance when you put red against green, how the red pops straight out. Thinking about kind of colour theory, how colours work together, complementary colours. Thinking about the patterns within the painting what patterns can they identify? And there are the very simple patterns, the patterns to do with the tiger. There's also patterns in terms of the grass, in terms of the organic patterns of the tree branches that you have coming down. And all across the paint surface is rain that Rousseau has put on there. The whole thing is covered with smatterings of rain that all move in the same direction. And movement's important as well. I think movement is something to really get children to think about and take into their bodies. Not just to describe it in words, but stand up and become the movement. Which way is the painting pointing? Where is the grass leading? Is it standing straight up or is it turning to its side? Use their hands to become the branches. There are some other paintings where I'll almost get children to dance out the movement. Where does the movement of the painting take them? It's a still object, but nonetheless, the energy of the movement is really important to communicating the, the feel of it. It's always interesting to teach children about the, the way that lines make us feel. Straight lines make us feel very real alert. Horizontal lines make us feel much more calm and get them to just begin to think about that. And they, they feel bigger ideas until you see them enacted within the artwork, and then they they become really tangible. And something else that we often do at Magic Lantern is dry paint, and this is a real hallmark, something that we have done for 30 years. We bring in a paint palette into the classroom, a dry paint palette, never wet, and with this different paint brushes, and we invite children to come up and copy the paint marks of the painting. And part of that is to understand how it was painted, the way in which it was made. Do they think he was working slowly and methodically or do they think he was working spontaneously and rushed? How was the paint being put on? Was it being put on smoothly? Was it thick? They can draw and make those marks themselves and it's a really lovely way to get children to just really think about this as an art object that's been made, the making process itself, the identity of an artist that sits in here as well, beginning to introduce that idea of the maker as well. And I think what's important with a painting like the Rousseau is how many different ways that we can take this as well. When I was introducing that particular painting in that context it was very much sitting within the theme of an art week and each of the different year groups had a different theme. Some classes were looking at patterns, some were looking at colours, others were looking at storytelling but, but this is a painting that can really lend itself to other topics as well. I used it recently in a geography topic I, for a year one class so a group of six and seven year olds and we were using it as an islands topic we're moving between different islands around the globe so we've gone we've uh, we've been to venice and seen canaletto and we have been to tahiti and had a painting from Goga. and this was a painting we used to visit the island of sumatra where they have tigers so thinking about kind of the tropical climate of that island it is a fantastic one to use within storytelling particularly that idea of stepping into an artwork but I've also used it really successfully when I've been working on a science week thinking about weather water cycle but also and more and more we get asked to deliver topics that speak to the environment so thinking about animals and habitats
0: Wow, so rich and multi-layered there. Thank you for talking us through that. We will include a link to the artwork so that you can look and listen to some of the approaches that you use. Love the idea of stepping inside. We do. I do a lot of stepping inside, jumping into artworks myself. Love the idea of embodiment, and also orchestrating a soundscape. I saw that on the video. It looked absolutely amazing. Uh, having the educator conduct the class into a performance of what they're looking at. So many approaches. What types of educators do you work with? You must have some very skilled educators to be able to deliver these amazing sessions.
1: Yeah, we're really lucky. So we have our educators have a real variety of backgrounds that they come to this with. Some of them, like myself, have a background in art history and a background in museum and gallery education. Others come from quite different kind of settings. So we have some who have a background in law. We have a, a former lawyer, former solicitor. We also have one of our longest-standing workshop leaders is an actress, and she does all of the training for new Magic Lantern workshop leaders and I think that's really key in there that that almost what kind of we all have in common is being able to communicate and engage so a lot of the workshop is really tailoring to that audience in terms of age and, and interest and getting them to to become involved it's really finding ways to bring that audience with you on a journey I think that Having those skills to respond to what's happening in the classroom around you, that it's not a dry experience. I think something we really emphasise when we have some new people coming on board in terms of training is that it must never be a lecture. It is not about kind of telling a group of children, young people what you know. It's really about them kind of finding out what you know. But it's a process of kind of discovery for everyone.
0: Yeah. And finding out through their curiosity as well, all of the things that you were describing would build up a certain amount of curiosity and wondering. And I, can, I saw in the video again, I keep coming back to it, but it, was, it brought it alive for me, all the hands going up because people were desperate to say something. So how do you create equal participation? Because sometimes you're working with large class sizes. How do they ensure that everyone has a voice and everyone gets involved?
1: I think that's a really good question and actually a lot of the time we will be in a class where we'll have up to 30 children. One of the, something that's really key to do is make sure there's a variety of different kind of activities so that within a workshop we will probably show on average about 10 different works of art, six of which we'll really be hoping to get inside. That sounds ambitious but It's important within the works that you choose to have a variety of different approaches that will appeal to different learning styles. And there will be some children for whom the physical kind of performance, becoming an artwork, role play, drama, that will be really exciting to them. There'll be other children for whom those elements of kind of imagination will really carry them being able to work off their feelings, benefiting perhaps from uh, a system where things are not right or wrong. Often at the beginning of the workshop, we'll really establish that, that a lot of the time there won't be right or wrong answers, we'll really be interested in what people think and guess and imagine. And really, lastly, what they know, there isn't a kind of expectation level for that within a Magic Lantern workshop. I think for myself, when I come out of a workshop, the sort of criteria for success is if children have enjoyed engaging. It's not really about leaving with a level of knowledge. I think it's about feeling as if going forward, this is something that they could do again independently. It's about really removing those sort of barriers to what can sometimes appear to be quite an elitist topic, Mm -hmm. even from an early age, and giving the confidence and enthusiasm that when they look at artworks, be that online, in a book, or in a gallery or museum, that that is a process, a form of engagement that they can do, and the confidence that they can do that. So yes, but your question about finding those different ways, I think it is just securing for all of the children in that classroom that they all have that confidence at the end of the session. Being very aware that there's a kind of parity in the way in which children engage. Not everyone is going to engage with the same things. Some children will feel more confident on the knowledge sharing, on the kind of prior knowledge that they have, that might be how they want to access the workshop to to tell you things they already know. Some children will feel more comfortable bringing in experiences.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned information there a couple of times and stressing that this is not a lecture, but you are linking to curriculum. You are linking to specific subjects. How do you and or information sharing what role does information play in a session and how do your educators weave it in so that it enhances rather than dominates yeah. the conversation
1: I think it's it sort of underpins and sits under the delivery so I think the initial kind of engagement so whenever an image is coming up it is really as an image comes onto the screen, you are inviting the children to really look at that moment, to experience that in some way, be that kind of imagining they can step into the work or setting them clues to solve, problems to find. But that as that process of discovery begins, as they begin to engage, that's when the curiosity gets peaked. That's when they begin to think, I want to know who made this. I want to know when it was made. I want to know why it was made, where it was. What's happened to it in the in-between time? And the questions start coming. It's really organic. That's the lovely thing. When a session is working well, that demand for knowledge and information will come from the children. You, It, it doesn't have to be pressed upon them. I did a great session a few weeks ago on the Tudors with a group of children. They were an eight audience. So that's uh, 12 to 13. And what was really interesting was how they were fascinated. We were looking at Holbein. We were looking at the ambassadors. And we were looking at other portraits that he'd done in the court of King Henry VIII. But they were just fascinated by Holbein. Who was he? Where was he born? How did this? How did he become this, this artist? And it was really wonderful. It was things that I hadn't imagined would be part of the session. I was thinking that we were really going to be thinking about the, the Tudor monarchs. But they were interested in that maker, who it was. And there was a wonderful moment with the ambassadors where they discovered the skull. I had them all stand up and they were stood next to the screen at such an angle that it suddenly appeared. And there is this wonder that came over them. Fantastic. And I think it's once you have that kind of wonder and such respect for what he'd done, that just opens up doors in terms of what else you want to know and are willing to find out. So
0: yeah i love it so sharing information in response to people's wonderings and curiosity and them asking you desperate to know the answers to all these questions that are in their heads makes your job so much easier you know exactly what they want to know and when they want to know it yeah
1: yeah i think it's important i think particularly in some of the topics that we come into so if we're coming into school and we're delivering on a A geography topic or or a a history topic there'll be a kind of narrative of learning within that we'll know the learning objectives that we want them or that they either will have met in class or that we can help them towards in terms of particular topics but it will often be student-led.
0: So what are the kind of responses that you have from students after a session how does it leave them feeling? It's Often,
1: one of my fa- one of my favorite stories is when I've been in to lead a session on the ancient Greeks in for a group of children who were in year two which is a seven to eight audience and they we have been looking we were looking at the ancient Greeks and we were looking at the discobolus the sculptor the sculpture holding he would have been holding a discus. And we had been recreating that in the classroom. So the children together I'd invited one of them to become the sculptor and the other to be the sculptor. So the sculptor needed to really observe that the sculpture itself in order to position the other child and they had some frisbees with them they could hold on to to really embody the kind of grace of that particular sculpture. It's got a wonderful sort of zigzag flowing line that runs between it. We had great session and we finished and for whatever reason the feedback form didn't come back to me until after I think after break and in the break time they continued the game so the teacher told me that out in the playground children had continued to continue to be sculptors and sculptures and i Yeah, I I love the fact that it extended beyond the classroom into play um, and, and obviously then back into the classroom again. I think children are often surprised at how fun it is. I think often children, feedback from teachers is that children who might otherwise be struggling to access the curriculum really benefit from the approaches that we use with Magic Lantern. And I think children who might not think of themselves As arty, who maybe already have concerns that they, on a practical level, they don't think of themselves as being artistic, but that doesn't negate them from engaging, looking at, and engaging meaningfully with artworks, and that's really lovely as well to see that. Sometimes with older children, just yeah, just getting very excited
0: about an artwork. Absolutely wonderful. So, have you got any tips that you can share with our listeners? for helping them to think about ways that they can engage with art?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things to really bear in mind is that we're terrible at looking and that actually what you can really help children do is to look. I will sometimes flash an image up, a really familiar image like Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa, and then I'll take it away and we'll play a game who can remember what was there and it's a really fun game to illustrate what we think we see but we don't see
0: yeah i do this with so, adults
1: as well <laughs> it's great but it and it's it's that creating a culture of looking uh, of taking time to look and what we can gain by doing so. And looking can be a game in terms of the clues and the things that we can find within painting. And really initially, always letting the painting speak for itself, not setting before, as we show an image, telling people what we can see, which I think as adults, we are really guilty of. What do you think of this painting with a lady with a monkey on her shoulder, when looking at a portrait of Frida Kahlo? don't mention the monkey. Don't mention who she is or the jungle behind her. Let them look at that one and discover for themselves and wonder for themselves because then their imaginations and minds will start coming up with their own kind of understanding and sort of reaction to it. I do think that it's important to be able to give that kind of the history and narratives that sit around artworks, be able to situate them. But I don't think that is what we should lead with
0: wonderful advice there so start with looking think about how much we can discover just by looking and how information is sometimes relevant sometimes not so relevant within that it can be helpful in some contexts but in some contexts you'd be amazed how much people can discover for themselves when they slow down and look at things yeah yeah so we are almost at time. I wonder if you could share with listeners more information about how they can find out more about Magic Lantern, how they can follow you or get in touch.
1: Yes, that would be great. Thank you so much. So we, our website is Magic Lantern Art dot org. UK, and you can contact us our details are on the website as well we run workshops throughout the country so we are always very happy to hear from schools who would like to invite us in we are also looking for workshop leaders at the moment so it may be that if we don't have your area of the country listed that we would be very keen to hear from you we are certainly at the moment and you can follow us on instagram and twitter and on facebook as well
0: Brilliant. Um, We will put all the details in the show notes. And if you're interested in reaching out about becoming an educator, I'm sure there's very talented educators within our audience here, then do get in touch as well. Bryony, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for talking about the wonderful work that you do at Magic Lantern. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank
1: you very much. And thank you for inviting us to come on.
0: So a massive thank you to Bryony for being on the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed our chat. Go to the show notes to find out more about the wonderful work of Magic Lantern. Do go and check out their website. Give them a follow on social media too. And if you're interested in engaging with art in an innovative way, come and join us in the Slow Looking Club. We have regular themes and regular get-togethers all based around the idea of slowing down and noticing more. I'll put a link in the show notes. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Bowne. You can find more art engagement resources by visiting my website, thinkingmuseum.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, at Thinking Museum, where I regularly share tips and tools on how to bring art to life and engage your audience. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share with others and subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.